do work in Corvallis for Corvallis Korean Church Asian American Ministry, which is crazy because uh, I never thought that I would be uh, when I was well, when I was uh, younger. I never thought I'd work in an Asian American church, which has uh, been a cool thing. Has a lot of advantages and disadvantages. About a week and a half ago. We were, uh, 18 of us from our church were down in Arizona on the Navajo Native American Reservation doing uh, missions, vacation Bible schools and Bible studies, all these different things. But uh, we're running this teenage Bible study every, every afternoon, so all these kids showing up. And on one particular day, a bunch of the kids said, hey, we've got to show you something. We've got to drive down to a place called Monument Valley, uh, which was down uh, it's on the reservation there. And so we just pile up this van full of Navajo teenagers and uh, take off driving. It turns out it's a lot, it ended up being a lot longer drive than we ever thought. Uh, get down there, but it turns out it's a it's a national park actually, which meant that we had to pay to get in there. And uh, they charged five dollars per person, not just like a car, but it was like five dollars per person to get in there. But we hadn't like planned on any of that. And the guy driving, he's one of the one of the dads that came along with along with us as one of our high school students, and uh, he's a he's a Korean guy. And so he pulls up. And the lady at the booth is like, uh, that'll be $5 for everybody. She's kind of leaning in, trying to count how many people are in the car. And uh, he just, now he's lived in America for like 30 years, works for the state and stuff. He just smiles and acts like he doesn't know what's going on and just keeps smiling. Like, it's $5 per person and she's counting. That'll be whatever. And, she just, and he just keeps smiling. And eventually he, she's just like, okay, just go, just go. And he just takes off driving. So anyway, saved us, I don't know, $60, $70 or something. Uh, uh, but uh, so it has its advantages working in, a, in an Asian American church. Um, I love it there. Me and my wife love it. But uh, we love the opportunity to be able to be here with you today too. Um, it's great to be back and to see us. Last summer when I was here, we were outdoors. Um, but just to be in this building, so cool to be able to be here and to see what's going on here. Um, just blessed with the opportunity to be here. So anyways, thank you. I'm excited to share with you today. We'll be in the book of Ephesians if you have your Bible. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 in a moment. But before we... Uh, before we read um, from just two verses today, I want to ask you a question, and it's a question that will, uh, that will drive our time today, um, that will direct our thoughts as we, uh, as we dive into God's Word, and that question is this, uh, it's even on the screen, how big is God? How big is God? How big is your God? When you, um, when you think about, when you comprehend, when you meditate on, when you reflect on, uh, when you really begin to think about, dwell on who God is, what kind of questions, what, what kind of thoughts fill your mind when you answer that question, how big is God? Um, a couple years ago, I was sitting in my office at church, and the way our church, it's a small church, and the way it's designed, I'm, I'm sitting in my office, across from my office, it's this room with, uh, where the little kids can play and stuff, so like all throughout the week, kids are always stopping by as their parents do different things around the church, and on this one particular day, I'm sitting in there, and this little boy, he comes running into the, into my office, and he's like, Moksanim, Moksanim, which means pastor in Korean. So pastor, pastor, how big is God? And uh, right away, like my seminary brain, right, starts thinking, okay, how can I explain this to a five-year-old? Like how, how big is God? So I take my hands. Well, he's as if this can describe, right, how big our God is. I'm like, well, he's, he's really big. He's bigger than the whole universe. And uh, his eyes get really big. Wow. You know, like I can't like that's huge. But then he says, well, that's that's great. Obviously, it had not appeased his mind as I describe how big he is. Well, so he's like, uh, well, pastor, pastor Brian, if he's that big, do you, well, do you think he's big enough 
to beat up my older brother because he's not being very nice to me. And uh, I'm like, well, I guess, but it's probably not how it works. Uh, but how big is God? When you think about how big God is, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I always viewed God. Like he's so big that he, can, he holds the whole world in his hands, right? That's how big our God would be. But, you know, he's so much more than that, right? So much bigger than a, a children's story or a song about how he holds the whole world in his hands. He does, but he's bigger than that. So how big is God? Uh, A.W. Tozer, he's a Christian writer, thinker, uh, speaker. He said this, what you think about when you think about God, that is the most important thing about you. What you think about when you think about God, that's the most important thing about you. Isn't that true? That the thoughts that fill your mind when you begin to think about God, that really says a lot about who you are. In fact, it goes far as to say it's the most important thing about you, what you think about when you think about God. Um, So today what I want to do, I just want us to leave here with a big view of a very big God. That's all I really want. And I think in seeing God as big, that it begins to change the way we live our lives. Uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, just two verses we're going to read. I think it's really a description of how big our God is. As we read this, I want us to think about this is how big our God is. Verse 20 chapter 3 of Ephesians. Let me read these two verses. I'm just going to pray for our time, and we'll, we'll talk about these verses today. It says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Hey, let's pray. We'll look at those verses. God, I thank you uh, that we get to gather together today, that we get to sing even songs about how you are able, how you were lifted up, you conquered the grave. Um, But God, I pray that just for these few moments as I share, God, I pray that you would work through me. I'm so unworthy to even share. Um, But God, I pray that you would speak to us, um, that that you would speak through your word. I know that it is living and it is active and it has the power to change lives. And so God, I pray that you change us. Uh, I pray that your, your words will really settle in on our hearts. We will see you as big, and we will live lives that reflect that. So thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Uh, so uh, I heard last week that Dr. K was here, Dr. Kuykendall, which is kind of scary for me now that I'm up here, because that guy's like the smartest guy I think I've ever met. So not as smart as him, sorry. Uh, but uh, as I was thinking about these verses, and I was thinking about how big our God is, um, if your God is big, uh, you will pray big things. In fact, this, even this passage, uh, as we read this, it comes at the end of one of Paul's prayer. If we have a big view of God, we will pray big things. If we have a big view of God, we will live courageous Christian lives, not fearful Christian lives, right? If we have a big view of God, we will begin to see God as the most important and the one worthy of praise, and us is not so important, and him is the one who should be glorified if we have a big view of God. So I just want us to have a big view of God. With that said, uh, these verses fall, these, these two verses fall in context of the book of Ephesians. Uh, in order to understand them, we need to really understand a, a bigger picture. So uh, if you've ever read the book of Ephesians, you might know this. There's 
six chapters in the book of Ephesians. And it, if you've read through it, just if you just read through it really quickly, you could see, don't do that right now, but if you were to read through it, the whole thing quickly, you would see that it really can be divided into two parts. Right at the end of chapter three, the first three chapters, and then the second three chapters. That's how the book can be divided. The first three uh, really speaks a lot of theology, a lot about who God is and our relationship with him and, and how man relates with God. And it's a lot of theological content, a heavy dose of theology uh, is what Paul gives us. And he ends it with, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Uh, so let's just go on a quick flyby of the theological points in Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In him, right? In Jesus, we have redemption. So as even Paul begins this letter to the church in Ephesus, he begins by just a reminder that it is in Jesus that we have our sins redeemed, that they are wiped clean by his blood. It's a reminder that redemption does not come by self-righteousness or the good works that we could ever do, right? Just a reminder that it's not through anything else. It's through the blood of Jesus alone. It's a reminder that redemption is not found in some Middle Eastern meditation or some religious ritual. It's not by showing up to church every Sunday that we find redemption, but it's found only in Jesus Christ, his blood that he shed on the cross. Uh, redemption comes only through the perfect lamb, right? That's what, that's what Paul is writing. Just a reminder, redemption is through Jesus alone. Chapter 2, verse 8. You know this verse. I'm sure you've memorized it. For it, is, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Another reminder, right? It's just, right it's, not, it's not just that you've been redeemed by blood, but you have been, grace has been poured out on you of no fault of your own. Right. But you did nothing to deserve it. It's all based on your faith. You can't you cannot earn it. And by the way, I'm thankful for that. Right. I'm thankful that I I can't do anything to earn it, because as much as I might try and work hard to earn salvation and redemption, I can't do it. I never could. And so Paul's just reminding us, like, redemption through his blood, it's by grace, it's through faith. And then in chapter 3, I love, I love this verse, verse 12 of chapter 3, leading up to his prayer. He says this, and in him, that's in Jesus, right, in Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Because Jesus died on the cross, we can now come before God and we are free, right? We're not shackled down by our past. The decisions we've made, we're not, we're not condemned by them. Or even for that matter, the decisions we may make in the future no longer condemn us. That we are actually free before Christ. But then I love this word, and we can approach Him with confidence. Why is it that when we... That, and that's so important, because when we come to verse 20 and 21 as He prays, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more, what gives Paul the confidence? to come before God and say, God, I'm going to beg of you to do immeasurably more in my life, in the life of the church, in the life of people. Why is it that he can do that? Because Jesus died on the cross. Because now he has confidence as he stands before God that God will hear him and God can answer. And so we see all these first three chapters just building up theology, theology, theology just being poured in and poured in. You know... A correct understanding of theology always leads to an incredible awe of who God is. And that's what I see Paul here, right? 
Like he's just built this one thing on another, building and building and building. And then he arrives in verse 14, and we see him begin to pray, like, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. He lays out this prayer, and then it comes to a climax in verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more. These two verses come. It's really all of the theological statements that are made is crescendoing, just building and building to this epic climactic moment. Now to him who is able. Uh, uh, You can, I want you to think about just these two words that happen in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more immeasurably more. Some versions say exceedingly more or abundantly more. I want you to think about those two words. Try to wrap your mind around immeasurably more. I've been trying to for a long time. I'll get my cup of coffee in the morning. I'll get my Bible and I'll sit down and I will, I will read these verses. I'll just begin to try to understand a God who can do immeasurably more. I can't do it. Maybe, maybe you could try but I cannot wrap my mind around a God who can do immeasurably more. Because I think about, I mean, it even says like immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Like I could ask some pretty crazy things, right? You could. I could imagine some pretty crazy things, couldn't you? What kind of God can do immeasurably more than that? It's like mind-blowing to me. Uh, me and my wife, we live in Corvallis, but we have our both, of our, both sets of our parents live in Salem. We have grandparents in Salem, aunts and uncles in Salem, and so it uh, makes holidays pretty crazy in our, in our family. For example, every, um, every Thanksgiving, we'll load up our car. We have some exchange students live in our house too, and we'll load up our car and we'll drive up. But uh, because we have like two sets of parents, we have grandparents and aunts and uncles, there's always like three, four different houses we need to go to on Thanksgiving. They're having Thanksgiving dinner, so they're all like 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 7 o'clock, right? Like, that's, we got the set order, so we'll get in the car and we'll drive, make the, make the drive up, and we'll go to the first house. And usually that's Carissa's uh, grandparents' house, and, it's, and it'll be like, because it's my wife's house, my wife's family, it'll be like 30 people that show up. And so it's just like, I mean, a ton of food, right? And we're just like multiple turkeys, ham, like mountains of mashed potatoes, rivers of gravy. I mean, just tons of, tons and tons of food. And so we'll sit down, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll all go through the line, we'll get our food, and we'll just fill up, and then we'll go back and fill up our place again. You, you know what I'm talking about. But here's the thing, like even when we get done with that meal, look back in the kitchen, and there's like all this food left over. Right, there's still a ton of food left over. Uh, then we'll load up the car, we'll drive over to another house, and we'll sit down with my family, and we'll sit around a smaller group, we'll sit around the, around the table, and we'll eat the food again, the mashed potatoes and the green beans and the turkey, and again, at the end, there'll still be more food left. Then we'll get in the car again, and we'll drive like to her grandparents' house, and we'll, now we'll have like 20 different pies to choose from, right? And we'll eat all this food and suck in our guts and hope that we'll pledge that we'll work out next week. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then we'll eat it all, but there'll still be more food left, right? Now, here's the thing that I was thinking about. At each of those places, like, there, there was more than we needed, right? But not immeasurably more. There was measurably more. We could say there was, there was half a turkey left. There were one quart of mashed potatoes. There was two cups of gravy. There was uh, three slices of pie left over. It's measurable, right? Because we live in a, in a finite world where we can measure the results, right? And yet we come to this God who says, a God who can do immeasurably more. And I just try to wrap my mind around that kind of God. I can't do it. That's a big God. A God of immeasurably more. So a week and a half ago while we were in Arizona on the mission trip, we had, 
we had just one particular occasion we journeyed up this uh, uh, up this hillside kind of thing up to this this guy wanted to build this Christian conference center is what he called it I just called it some sticks put together with a tarp but uh, uh, but that's what we were building because he was going to have like this prayer meeting in fact I think they're actually doing it this weekend so we were our group was helping him set this up but it, the sun began to set on this one particular night and he said hey you guys gotta you guys gotta drive over this way so he told us it's like a little road to go drive and we drove over this place ends up we end up parking right on this edge of this cliff this like it, they call it the rim overlooking kind of like I guess the canyon but it's just just huge massive like expanse of space and so we go there we hop out of the vans and all the you know all the youth group kids just take off running for the cliff wait stop uh, <laughs> ten feet away ten feet away and uh, so we all sit down and we watch as the sun sets over this area and uh, oh man just so incredible right as the sun disappears you begin to see lights of the houses out there begin to appear like little cities here and little cities there just an incredible view i don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you're just kind of sitting there like wow god right like like maybe when you sit at the ocean you just see like the expanse of the ocean and you hear the the roar of the waves crashing and like wow god or maybe it's like on a summer night no clouds and you lay on your back and you look up at the stars you're like wow god you know what I don't understand it still, immeasurably more, but there was something about sitting in that moment when I was just looking out at God's creation, and it was like, yeah, I don't get it, but I certainly believe it, that you're a God of immeasurably more. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. I don't understand it, but I certainly believe it, and I certainly trust in it. Look at, the, look at the way in which Paul builds this verse, because I love this. It's just kind of like a, it's a, a pyramid, more of an upside-down pyramid, but he says it like this. Now to him who is able, now to him who is able to do, now to him who is able to do more, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Just that's how big our God is. So, earlier when we asked, how big is God? Whatever you thought of, whatever thought came to your mind, how big is God? He's bigger. And He is stronger. And He is more magnificent. And He is more about love and justice and holiness. He's bigger. He is greater. He's bigger, right? And so in my life, at least, this is what I've come to understand. Uh, at least I can't think of a time in my life where uh, I've ever thought too high of God. Never have I gone through a situation in my life and I was like, oh man, God, I thought you were bigger than that. Right? Never. In fact, always in my life, I underestimate God. I never overestimate God. And I don't know about you, but here's what I do in my life. I take God and I put him in a little box. And it's not a box of God can and can't do something. Because I understand, I actually believe that God, He can do anything. I believe it. I've been taught it. I understand it. I have faith in that, that God can do anything. So it's not a box of God can and can't do something. It's a box of God will and won't do something. God, I just in my mind to begin to think, well, God, you know, He's really interested in doing these things, but He would never actually be interested in doing these things over here. And I put Him into some kind of box. You know what happens? It affects the way I pray. It begins to change the way I pray because instead of praying that God would do impossible things, I begin to pray that God would just do the possible thing. 
right? Instead of asking God to do the extraordinary things in my life, in the lives of people around me, I begin to pray, oh God, will you just do these things? Make it simple for God as if we need to make it simple for a God who can do immeasurably more. Uh, If we were to divide this passage up into three sections, there's a what, there's a how, and there's a why. A what, a how, and a why. Well, the what, that's what we've been talking about. What? Our God is big enough to do more. That's the, he's big enough to do more. That's the what. Uh, but before we move on to why, uh, let me just say this, because I need to condition this for a second. The temptation for some people is to read this passage and begin to see God as some kind of health and wealth prosperity God. Some kind of, I call it, a God as a genie kind of God. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember actually going to see Aladdin when it premiered in the theaters. I love the movie Aladdin, Disney movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I love it. I used to always, probably still today, wanted to have my own magic carpet to fly around on. Uh, but I love that movie. Uh, and in that movie, right, there's, I mean, Aladdin, the whole premise, he finds, the, the, he finds that bottle, rubs it, and then it, the genie comes out, you get three wishes, and the whole movie's about him getting his three wishes. You know, some people actually see God kind of that way. God is genie in a bottle. They may come to this passage, and I hope none of us would ever do this, but we come to this passage and say something like, man, if God can do immeasurably more, then God, give me that, that big house. Give me that, that really nice car. Give me that uh, really good job and that really good life. <laughs> but then God, because he does immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, it's not just a nice house. It's like it's the mansion out in the country that's gated around it, right? And it's not just a car. It's three cars and there's a boat next to it. And it's not a good job because you won the lottery. You don't have to work anymore, uh, right? It's, it's more than we could ever imagine. And we, we think that, but you know, that's not, God doesn't actually work that way. But the funny thing is, I was watching TV even the other day. This one of those pastor guys that gets up and on the TV and begins to preach. And at first I was like, woohoo, this guy's so great. And he starts speaking. He's like, God is so awesome, loving, powerful. He's telling really how big God is. But then he just begins to speak and he says something like this. You know that house you've always wanted, the financial freedom you've always wanted, uh, the life you've always wanted, it's waiting. The floodgates of God are about to explode on your life. All you have to do is ask and have faith and it will be true. And then I was ready to throw the TV out the window because like, no, that's so not how God works. We know that. My experience in my life tells me that's not necessarily true. Could God do all those things? Certainly. That's not how God works. In fact, I would go as far as to say this. To see God as always giving us those things that we would want is actually a small view of God. Let me tell you what a big view of God looks like. A big view of God says this. Even when I don't get the things I want, God is big enough to be my joy. And he is big enough to be my satisfaction. And he is big enough to be my fulfillment even when I don't get those things. I've been to the mountains, Andes Mountains, working in villages. I've been to an orphanage in Peru. I've been to Arizona on the Navajo Reservation, cities in Mexico. You know, those are people who have very little compared to what I have. But you know what? They, they understand something. That a God who can do immeasurably more is not about a God who can just give things, but rather a God who can give himself and be their joy and satisfaction in any and every moment of life. I just wonder, do we see God as that big? Do we see God as that big? If we really see God as a God who can do immeasurably more, we will be people who pray big, big prayers. And I want us, don't you want to be a part of a group of people who pray for big things because we serve a big God? That's what I want to be a part of. Those are the kind of people that I want to be around who are not afraid to pray for big things. 
so that's the what. The what is that our God is big enough to do more. Uh, let's look at the how. Because it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could imagine, all ask or imagine. But then he tells us how this is possible. According to his power that is at work within us. How? Because of his power. It is his power that is doing the work in us. That is why he can do immeasurably more. That word power, the Greek word dunamis, uh, where we get the English word dynamite. Uh, exploding power. I was thinking about the 4th of July even uh, the other day, just exploding power going on. Uh, that's the kind of power he's talking about. Um, I was thinking about that power that is at work within us. That's the same power that uh, God used to create the universe. It's creation power, right? It's the power that said, let there be light and there was light. Let there be oceans and there was oceans. Let there be mountains and there was mountains. That kind of power is at work within us. I just wonder in my life so often, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that that power is actually at work in my life and in the work of the lives of the people around me? Uh, it's not just creation power, though. Chapter 1 actually describes this power in verse uh, 18. He says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then verse 19 says this, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he tells us what kind of power it is. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's not just creation power working in us. It's resurrection power. Power that raised Jesus from the dead and power that will one day raise us from the dead. That is at work within us. That's what it says. The reason why, the reason why God can do immeasurably more because he is at work within us. So our confidence is not in our ability to pray. Our confidence is in a God who is powerful and can answer those prayers. It's not about saying just the right words. It's not about meeting together and we read off some kind of prayer thing or some kind of chant, right? It's that we actually just pray to a God who is powerful and that power begins to work in us and through us as a church and individually. Uh, what incredible power. You know, when we fail to believe in that power, uh, we will live lives of fear and not courage. When we fail to believe in that power, we will live lives of fear and not courage. And what this world needs is more courageous Christians, not more fearful ones. More Christians who say, I believe God can do immeasurably more, and I will pray for those things, and then because of his power working in me, I will step into them, and I will do courageous things for my God, because his power is working in me. There's this girl, her name is Stephanie. I met her two years ago. She's going to be a junior at Oregon State University. I love uh, working Oregon Beavers. I love working for Oregon State, working at Oregon State and working with uh, students, college students. I love that I get to spend so much time with college students, but one of them, Stephanie, uh, she's a pre-dental major at Oregon State University. Uh, two years ago, she was coming into her freshman year, and it, it, there's a long backstory, which is too, too long to tell you, but uh, make this long story short, the second week of school, our church is putting on this big dinner at church on a Thursday night, inviting uh, people to come eat Korean food. So we're just basically, and we're going to have a worship night, and I was going to speak, and uh, so we just basically flood the campus with flyers, come eat free Korean food, any Asian American, well, anyone can come, but 
preferably Asians are the ones we were inviting to come uh, to our church that night. So we invite people, and I don't really know the, the, really the full reason why she showed up that night. Uh, it was a mix of, I think, uh, curiosity, and a friend had invited her, and then the free food, which everyone likes to show up for. Uh, and so she shows up, and she eats the food, and then we kind of reassemble ourselves for our worship night, and she, she, she'll tell you that she took place in what she'd not really gone to church before. Uh, only a couple times she'd been gone to a couple youth group things as she was growing up. But uh, she takes part in what she described as a gigantic Christian karaoke session. Uh, and everyone was singing, and she wasn't totally sure what to expect or think. Uh, and then I spoke, and it was a really simple message that night. Something like, God loves you. He left heaven to save you, died on the cross for you. Why don't you put your faith in him? And uh, that night she chose to follow Jesus, um, which is so cool. And, and she just, uh, but what uh, I did not know at the time is that um, her mom, uh, her mom and dad divorced. Her dad lives on the East Coast. Her mom lives in Portland, in, in Portland and uh, she's pretty close with her mom, but um, her mom is just adamantly against Christianity, hates Christians hates the church for, for something that happened like 30 years ago. She was involved in a church, and now she just absolutely hates it. And so uh, that night, actually, Stephanie calls her mom and says, Mom, you won't believe it. I went to this church, and uh, I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm a Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus. And her mom, her mom was actually nice and said, Well, oh, that's so nice. I'm so glad you're in college and exploring religions. You should check out lots of religions. And uh, Stephanie's like, Okay, well, I think I picked my one. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, then just kind of went through the rest of the year. She got super involved in in church and, and ministry on campus, she joined a small group and got into discipleship relationship with one of the older girls in our college group and just began to grow so awesome. Uh, but then last summer, about a year ago, she goes home after her freshman year and goes back to Portland to live with her mom for the summer and gets a job up in Portland. And uh, about midway through the summer, she's at work and her mom walks into her bedroom to see uh, Stephanie's Bible opened up on the pillow of her bed and uh and that bible's like underlined and highlighted and all those like all the bulletins from church was like stacked up in there and her mom freaks out like what is my daughter doing what has she gotten what kind of cult has she gotten involved in that she's like so committed to this thing and so mom waits for stephanie to come home that afternoon sitting in the living room as stephanie opens the door and walks in and she's mad starts yelling like i tell forbidding her to ever go to church telling her she could never don't be a christian don't ever read this bible again and obviously stephanie's like doesn't know what to do because here's her her mom that she loves but her mom's telling her not to have anything to do with Christianity and so they finish out the summer they don't actually even talk much the rest of the summer and uh, her mom takes her back to Oregon State uh, this past fall and she's got an apartment she's moving into they move her into the apartment uh, mom gets into the car after unloading rolls down the window as Stephanie walks out the door calls out the window of her car Stephanie don't come home until you no longer follow Jesus rolls up the window and takes away, just drives away. I think she's talked to her now. I mean, we're almost a year away from that now, maybe five times in the past year, because for Stephanie, here's what she said. I'd rather follow Jesus. And oh, wow, right? Isn't that, that kind of crazy? I think about when I look at her, a God who can do immeasurably more in a person's life than Stephanie. Right? And a person, when I look at and I see the power of God at work in someone, it's her because she chose Jesus even when it divided 
family. Now, she'll, she still prays every day for her mom, that she would come to know Jesus. I pray all the time that her mom would come to know Jesus, that relationship would be restored again. But isn't it something incredible when God begins to move in someone's life, when he does immeasurably more things, save someone from the crypts of hell into eternity, but even then he supplied the power for her to endure even the hardship of a mom who doesn't understand and a mom who did not want what she wanted for her life. That's incredible power. Our God is so big that we ought to walk courageously, right? Because his power is at work in us, let's be people who live life courageously, not fearfully. So the what? God is big enough. The how? Because he gives the power. Now here's the last thing, and this may be the most important thing. The last thing is the why. He ends by telling us, Uh, In verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be the glory. Why? It's for his glory. Why does he do immeasurably more? Why does he give us the power for his glory? Just notice that it does not say, now to him who is able to do more by his power that is at work so that you may be lifted up so that your name may be made greater, so that, Brian, everyone may know you and see you as great. It doesn't say that. It just simply says, to the glory of his church and of his son, Jesus Christ. It's about him. You know, when you have a big view of God, you will become less and God will get more and more glory. I'll tell you what, you want to know how it is that you can practice humility in your life? Elevate God right? Make him out to be bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more powerful. And then you will slide right underneath and say, God, may you be glorified. I want to point out one thing. It's just crazy to me. It says, to him be glory in the church. It doesn't say to him be glory in your life. Now that's true, right? We know that's true, that God wants to work in us so that then God may be glorified in our lives. That I, I, want, I mean, I pray that God do something in my life so people may look at me and they may see your glory at work in me, right? We'd all want that for our lives. But that's not what Paul writes here. He actually writes that the reason why God is going to do immeasurably more, the reason why he's giving that power so that to him be glory in the church collectively, that somehow in God doing immeasurably more through me and then through you, that then that his name is made great in the church. That as you and I, as you guys gather together and you pray, God, do more, do more in our lives. We want to see you move in this city. And as he supplies the power, people then look at the church and say, glory to God. Right. And so then that just forces me to think and ask like the hard questions. How is God doing immeasurably more through me in the church? How is he doing immeasurably more through me for the sake of the church? I'm I'm not talking about like some church building, right? But the church, us as believers, how is God doing immeasurably more through us? Uh, In what ways are you making God's name great in the church? Is he doing immeasurably more through you? All that God is doing is centered on him. It's not centered on us. Uh, I'll tell you one more story. There's this uh, guy. He's been coming. His name is Blaine. He's Hawaiian. Uh, He started coming to our church about three years ago. Not a Christian. Kind of interested. Always been interested in in religious things and Christianity. He's been coming for a long time. I'm praying for him a long time. Finally, in in January, uh, I get a a text, actually. He says, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm like, what in the world? I better call for that one. Uh, Right? And uh, and call him up. And he's just, you know, I just 
just fell on my knees in my dorm, my apartment, gave my life to Jesus. Like, that's so awesome. Let's have lunch tomorrow. I'll buy you lunch. And so we sit down, we have lunch, we get talking and stuff. He's telling me his story. It's exciting. He gave his life to Jesus. Uh, but then uh, as we're talking, he said, hey, Brian, um, I, want to, I want to tell my friends about Jesus. I want to tell all the Hawaiians on campus about Jesus. There's a lot of, there's a, there's a big population of Hawaiian students at Oregon State University. Uh, but they have a really, uh, really bad name for themselves. The, the Hawaiians on campus are known as like the party group. You want to find a party on campus? Go to a Hawaiian apartment where the Hawaiians live. Uh, they're known for like, they start drinking on a Thursday and they don't stop drinking until Sunday. Uh, that's just like what they're known for. And that's the lifestyle actually that Blaine had come out of. And so we're sitting there and, and we're talking. It's like, you know what? I, all these people, I, they need Jesus. I want to tell him about Jesus. And I was like, so, all right, sounds great. Let's tell him about Jesus. And he said, right, so I'm, I want to have a Bible study in my apartment. I'm going to just invite the Hawaiians over and I want to tell him about Jesus. And I was like, that sounds great. Let's do that. And he said, well, but I don't know anything about the Bible. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, let me teach you something. So we looked at one passage, so that sounds great. And then he went and did a Bible study, invited some of his friends over, cooked them some food. And maybe that first week, there were like 12 Hawaiians that show up in his living room, his apartment, just begin telling them about Jesus. I think uh, about a month ago, the last week of school, there were over 45 people that showed up in his living room as he began to share Jesus with them. Uh, and even out of that, the last couple months, there have been many Hawaiian students who have given their life to Jesus because Blaine decided to sit down and tell people about Jesus. But here's the thing, and uh, here's my point, is that people look at that situation. You know what people look at that situation and say? I haven't really heard anyone say this. Wow, Blaine, look what he did. You know what people look at that situation and say? Wow, look what God is doing on the campus of Oregon State University in this one apartment. Isn't that crazy? You know what's funny is that as we were talking on that, that having lunch that day, uh, we ended and I said, hey, how can I, how can I pray for you? How can we pray together as you move forward? And you know what he said? He said this, hey, can we just pray that every Hawaiian would come to know Jesus? That's what I want to pray. You know, earlier I said putting God in a box. You know what my box would have said? Let's pray that maybe two people will come to know Jesus this year, right? But you know what he says? He just doesn't even look at the box. He's like, our God, he can do more. So let's just pray that every single one comes to know Jesus. And then he just steps out by the power of God and courageously does something, and God gets the glory. You know what my hope is? That you and I, that we would see God as big, and then we would respond in such a way. Right? That we would see God as big, and we would pray big prayers, and we would act courageously because of God's power working in us. And in the end, it would not be about my glory. It would not be about your glory, but it would be about our God's glory. Uh, I was thinking about the book of Ephesians. It was written 2,000 years ago. It tells us to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ. Uh, but what if it was written today? What if it was actually written today? Uh, who, would it be, who would it be addressed to? Who would Paul have said to what? Who would he have said it to? Here's what I think he would have said. He would have said something like this. To the child that is running and the mother who is crying, the father who is yelling and the family that is breaking, our God, he is able to restore that which has been broken. And to the girl whose innocence was stolen and now spends countless tear-filled, sleepless nights, lying awake in her bed, unable to sleep because she's living her own nightmare, our God, he is able to heal the wounds inflicted by another. And to the ones who hear the whispers of the conspirators, the gossip that comes from the mouths of ones once called friends, our God, he is able to lift you up 
when you have been beaten down. And to the men with a demon on their shoulder and an addiction they cannot break. And as many days as you see yourself succeeding, you find yourself failing, and there's one word left to describe you. Defeated. Our God, He is victory. And He is able, and He already has broken the chains that bind us. And for everyone who's ever prayed for a loved one, a brother or a sister, a mother or a father, an aunt and uncle, a grandparent, God, would you save them? Our God, He is able. He is able to save and He has not forgotten the prayers. And He is big enough to answer those prayers. So for every word you've ever spoken that you wish you could have back, and every moment that is scarred by shame, and every night that is lived in guilt, Our God, he is able to wipe the slate clean. I love what Isaiah says. Uh, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so when the world is shaking, your life is unraveling, and there is a wake of destruction behind you, and there is a mountain of trouble ahead, it's then that you will say, then that I will say, together, we'll say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in his son, Jesus Christ, now and forevermore. Amen. Hey, let's pray. God, I pray that, uh, that you would make yourself real in our lives, that we would see you as a big God and we would respond with big prayers that we would respond with courageous living because of your power that is at work within us. God, I thank you for these moments, and I pray that as we leave here that your, that your glory would be evident in our lives because you are doing great things. And I pray for this church, this group of believers, that your power would be evident here and that people uh, on the outside would look in and they would say, I have to glorify God because of what you're doing. God, I pray that you would use us. Help us to see you as big and believe in it uh, and trust you for that. Thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.